0: My name is George Batch. I'm professor and co-director of the Institute for School Reform at the University of South Florida and the co-director of the statewide problem-solving response to intervention project for the Florida Department of Education. And I've been asked to make some comments today about what response to intervention is, why it's important for district administrators, classroom teachers, and others, um, and to, uh, to give you an overview of, of what may be a new way of schooling our students in Florida that you're going to be very much involved with. Response to intervention is the use of high-quality data to inform instruction and to help us develop interventions to ensure that all kids in the state of Florida are able to reach proficiency. Now, the use of high-quality data scares a lot of people, but basically what student-centered data does for us is to give us the information that we need to inform instruction so that we use our time most efficiently and make the biggest impact on our students. RTI is nothing new, but how we're going about it now is a little bit different. Teachers have used student data for years to help inform their instruction. We're not going to be using data that are completely different, but we're going to be using those data in a little bit different way. So why all of this hoopla about response to intervention? About three years ago, the United States Department of Education summoned teams from all 50 states and territories to talk about response to intervention. Every state sent a team of about 10 people to a three-day conference. The purpose of that three-day conference was to initiate each state's development of a statewide, RTI implementation plan and the US Department of Education basically said for the foreseeable future response to intervention is going to be the way that we are going to organize instruction and intervention for schooling of America's schoolchildren. So after that three-day conference every state team went back and developed their own state plan. Florida actually has led the nation in many ways in the development of this RTI plan and of its initial implementation. In fact, you can go to www.florida-rti.org and you can access that state plan along with other resources and materials that we'll refer to throughout this series um, to learn more about um, how Florida is going about the implementation of response to intervention. Right now, Florida has a statewide RTI plan, a statewide structure to support the implementation of that plan. And as we sit here today, every district in the state of Florida now has a completed district RTI plan. Beginning in the 2009-2010 school year, every district is going to begin a multi-year implementation of their district plan. So that every building, every building team, every teacher in every building Will be part of this initiative of using high quality data to inform instruction and intervention. RTI is not a program. It's not an intervention. It's a framework for how we're going to organize our instruction and intervention to ensure that all kids have equal access to proficiency. So with that as a backdrop, with the understanding that it's not something that's going to go away. It's not another fad in education that if you hold your breath long enough, uh, this too shall pass. This really is a fundamental change in how we are going to go about schooling our children. It's a framework, once again. You bring all of your teaching skills, your facilitation skills, your administrative skills, your curriculum, and you organize it within this framework to deliver the kind of instruction that students should have based upon their individual needs. It's no secret that we are living in a very diverse world. Students are coming to us with a wide range of experiences and level of readiness for school. And it is a difficult task for teachers to try to figure out, what do I teach to whom? How much time do I spend with students who are falling behind? Do students who are accelerated lose out on this because of the emphasis on students who are performing below proficiency here in Florida? So this framework, this response to intervention framework is designed to help teachers and educational leaders answer those questions in a way that makes sense to them, to the students and to their families. So let's talk about what response to intervention is, how it works and um, Try to give you a sense of of what this is all about. At the end of this first segment, hopefully this will make sense to you. You may not know how to do it yet. You may not fully understand all the nuts and bolts of it, but hopefully it will make sense to you. We basically want to use student-centered data to organize our students into four groups. Students who are at or above benchmark We want to be able to accelerate their growth. We want to prevent before failure happens, for some kids, prevent them from getting behind. So screening measures that are designed to identify students who are at risk for school failure before they even fail, help us to organize instruction in a way that meets their needs before they ever fail. The third group, are a group of kids who are behind, but not so far behind that reasonable measures cannot be used to close that gap and catch them up. But there also exists a fourth group of students, and those are students who are significantly behind, for whom intensive interventions are necessary, and for whom a regular educational experience is probably not likely if we hope to have them caught up, particularly in areas of reading, mathematics, and science. There are a couple of guiding principles about response to intervention that I want to share with you today. One is that academic-engaged time, the number of minutes of quality instruction, will predict a student's achievement and performance better than any other factor. Those factors would be IQ, language, socioeconomic status, cultural difference. The currency of catching up and accelerating student growth is time, academic engaged time. There are 330 minutes in a day, 1,640 minutes in a week, and 56,700 minutes in a school year. Those are the only minutes we have. Students who are behind cannot catch up if they receive curriculum the same number of minutes a day as students who are not behind you want to catch students up you need high quality instruction delivered in great quantity so academic engaged time becomes very important the second issue is that students who are more than two years behind have less than a 10 percent chance of ever catching up unless we do something pretty dramatic so therefore we need data delivered to us on a regular basis to let us know how these students are doing. Are we accelerating that group of students who are at proficiency? Are we preventing failure for those students that we can collect data on before they fail? So response to intervention is using data to identify how much time and what focus we need to provide for these four groups of students those students who are at or above proficiency and for whom we want to accelerate their growth. We need to find those students who are at risk for failure before they ever fail, typically younger students using screening tools and other measures. The third group of students are those students who are behind but not so far behind that reasonable measures can't catch them up. And that fourth group of students, that intensive intervention student for which we have to modify our Instructional day modify the schedule for that student make significant changes hard choices also Because these students are not likely to have be able to have the same day as everybody else Because there are a fixed number of minutes as I said before and if we add another hour For reading other hour and a half for reading something's got to give But those students represent a small percent of all the students that will be in your classroom or in your building So given that academic engaged time, given this focus on using data to identify these groups of students, this instructional frame of RTI is organized in three levels. You probably have heard this or are familiar with that. Tier one, which is general education classroom. Tier one is what all students get. Tier two, also known as supplemental instruction, is in addition to tier one. And typically is no more than about 30 to 60 minutes a day. Tier three is intensive instruction. Now, in order for us to be able to use our resources in an efficient way, because 80% of a school's budget, 80% of the personnel, 80% of all expenses in a school are allocated to general education students who do not need any additional instruction the core instructional students, if you will. Therefore, in order for us to deliver efficient and effective instruction, 80% of students in school need to be able to make proficiency by only receiving core instruction. About 20% of the students in a building are gonna need, if core is effective, are going to need supplemental and or intensive instruction. And that works out well percent-wise, because about 20% of a school's budget, 20% of the personnel in a building, are allocated to supplemental and intensive instruction. If we have more than 20% of the kids in a school needing that, and we don't have more than 20% of the staff allocated to it, then we have more students than staff, and although the students will get the service, they won't close the gap, because let's remember, under No Child Left Behind, by the year 2014, 95% or more of all students are going to have to be proficient. What that means is, is that all students, even those requiring supplemental and intensive instruction, will have to make proficiency. So we need to be sure that we have sufficient, intensive support for students who need Tier 2 supplemental, Tier 3 intensive instruction we can't do that if we have much less than about 75 or 80 percent of the students making proficiency with only core instruction so this instructional frame is really a return on investment and efficiency model 80 percent of kids are making proficiency or above with just core instruction then we have the staff necessary to ensure that those other kids can also make proficiency within this three-tier model we are going to collect data on all of the students we collect the least amount of data on tier one students we might do benchmarking three times a year we would use fcat scores we would use district-wide assessments and basically the data for tier one is designed to answer this question is core instruction effective So what a teacher wants to know, what a building principal wants to know, is are 80% of the students receiving core instruction, making proficiency, which is a pretty simple process to determine. You can look at FCAT scores. You can look at what percent of your kids are hitting their benchmarks. You can take a look at your district-wide assessments. Once we have good, effective core instruction, we can then ask which students need additional help. But we don't know that unless we have the data. If we don't collect the data on a regular basis, then in essence the students have to tell us that they are not doing well. In other words, they have to begin to fail before we know that they need additional support. also recall that once a student is more than two years behind, there's less than a 10% chance that that student is going to catch up. So the data are early warning indicators for us. We have to take them early enough. We have to take them frequently enough so that as kids begin to slide, we still have a lot of time left. Remember we said previously, academic-engaged time, the number of minutes a week of quality instruction, predicts achievement. If we run out of time, we can't catch a student up. Students can only close the gap at a certain rate. If we wait too long, It's not going to work. An example I use a lot is when I'm in another city I'm unfamiliar with and I have to travel to the airport to catch a plane to leave. I know about how long it's going to take me. Let's say it takes me two hours to get there, check in and catch the flight. If I leave the building two hours ahead of time on my way to the airport, I don't have to have any worries. I can even have a few delays, but I can get there on time. If I leave an hour and a half before the plane leaves, then I'm gonna have to do something differently. I'm gonna have to speed up, I'm gonna have to take a shortcut, or I'm gonna miss the plane. If I leave an hour ahead of time, no matter what I do, I'm going to miss that plane. Same thing is true with students. If we identify students early enough, we have a lot of time left. If we have a lot of time left, then the catch-up rate is slower. But if we wait until they're in eighth, ninth, tenth grade, and they're four or five years behind, we're at that one hour mark. There's not enough time left to catch those students up. So that is why data collection is so important, why it needs to be done on a regular basis. It's like flying blind if you don't collect data. You know you're going someplace, but you don't know where you're going and you don't know how quickly you're getting there. So the big adjustment is trusting data in this model, more than we might have trusted our clinical experience, even if we've been teaching for 20 or 30 years. As you can probably tell by looking at me, this is not my first year teaching. I've been doing this as almost my 40th year in, in public education. I have learned that with the diversity of students, the new internet, Twitter, Facebook, all of these new methods of communicating that kids use to communicate with each other, that my years of clinical judgment, using my experience to predict what's gonna happen to students, just doesn't work well anymore. We really need to trust data in order to ensure that we provide the appropriate instruction and intervention for students. So to summarize, what response to intervention is, is using data on an ongoing basis to say, how do I accelerate my high performing students? How do I identify students before they fail? How do I identify those kids who are beginning to fall behind while I still have enough time to do something about it? And how do I use intensive problem-solving and interventions to deal with those students who are more than two years behind? High-quality instruction delivered in high quantities is the way to catch students up. In our next segment, we will talk about how the tiers work. What is the difference between tier one, tier two, and tier three? How do we make them work together? And um, how that fits into that instructional frame.